All right. Hello, world. Welcome back to the Changeover Tenants Podcast. Evan and I can actually see each other in this episode. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully see. that doesn't create any latency issues, but you know, we'll find out. See if it affects the general quality of our uh, production here, but hopefully not. Today, we're bringing you what we're calling the Rafa Show. And our main objective for today is to revel in Rafa's victory. It's as simple as that. Um, so join us in here for a reflection on what we think is one of tennis's most historic outcomes of the modern era. It is second, Evan, only to one other outcome of the past week. And that outcome <laughs> is the victory of Nick Kyrgios in his <laughs> first Grand Slam championship ever. Jumping right into that. <laughs> <laughs> we save that for later. Okay. But that did also happen. So we're going to go through Rafa's crazy win at the Australian Open 2022. We're a couple days late on it. Fine. That's fair. You could have listened to probably 10 other podcasts by now, yeah. giving you some analysis on that. So just consider ours like a really, really overly steeped cup of tea that's just like <laughs> really hopped up on all these ingredients. <laughs> yeah. I like your tea's <laughs> strong and bold and somewhat bitter. That That's the, that's the changeover right yeah, there. <laughs> some might say moldy. Who knows? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're going to go through the match. Um, we'll also do, we, we can't escape some of the good commentary on the fun, like uh, little breakouts and mini scandals that happened at the Australian Open too. There's some actually some really entertaining things that happened. It's kind of a crazy event in general. Um, then we'll take a look at the small tournaments that are currently happening and also give you a moldy take of the week. So we've got pretty much everything on the docket today. We're going to try and do it efficiently. We say that every time and it basically mm -hmm. never works. So, never. but yeah, Evan, I mean, now we're looking at way over 700 plays. The last couple episodes have been turning out pretty good for us. And um, based on our last one, it looks like we should probably switch our main focus from tennis <laughs> to just trivia on like 2000s hardcore music. Um, <laughs> if right. we were half as good at tennis analysis as we were at that, then who knows what, what would actually be happening here. I have no idea, but. <laughs> I guess yeah, it was a hit. It's a, yeah, it's amazing how many plays we got on that and how much I remembered from stuff I listened to over 10 years ago. But it was fun. I've been thinking about it for the last week every time because I, I realized that most of the time when I like turn on Spotify and toss some headphones on to do anything, like 30% of the time it's some kind of random song from like our yeah. teenage <laughs> years that's just coming on in the background. And I just accept it. I'll just keep listening to it. Oh, sure. I enjoy it. So, yeah, it's out there. That's for sure. <laughs> Go check it out if you haven't yet. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely give the last couple episodes a, a, a listen. But uh, thanks, everybody, for for checking in. It's uh, It's been a fun ride, and we're going to keep going here. So, Evan, the Rafa Show. We're looking at a set-by-set -set short reflection on what exactly happened in this final Um and I got to say, this has got to be, so we're both Rafa fans. You are definitely the bigger Rafa fan. I think you've had the Rafa claim for however long. We both got into Rafa, at least from my view, uh, back when he became the Federer toppler, so to say, um, and started taking him out on a regular basis, became a rival that could truly master him, unlike our beloved Andy Roddick, who could only lose right. to him. So we needed someone who was like a mm -hmm. rebel and a fighter in there, and that was Rafa. Um, 
but I know in our tops episode, um, of course, you ranked him very highly there. So this moment has got to feel extremely sweet, especially for you. Oh, I am on cloud nine. I could not be happier. This is probably the happiest I've been in terms of professional tennis results in maybe even ever. I don't know. It's so many different as a Rafa fan. And I'm sure anybody out there listening who is it, who he's also their favorite player. You got to feel this way when it, when I don't know, it's just like no one, literally no one expected him to win this tournament, and he did. And then, not just that, but this tournament in particular, with the way that his career went at the Australian Open, just makes it that much sweeter. The way that he won it down from two sets. We'll get into all this, so I don't, I don't want to uh, get too much into it. But it, it, it is easily one of the sweetest wins I think in his entire career. And as a fan, you just love to watch it. It was unbelievable. Like, okay, let's let's jump right into it. So, like we said, set by set. Let's start out with with set one of the final, and later on here, we'll work our way back through backwards through the tournament and get into some other factors. But if we focus just on this match, Nadal versus Medvedev in the final. Um, so, set one. Um, the the main points I took, Evan, were the the first like four or five games. I remember while watching it, it felt like an eternity, and they were. They took like almost 30 minutes. I think it was literally 25 minutes for the first four games or something like that, just to be completed. Mm-hmm. And you just had this impression that it was extremely physical. It was very like deliberative slogging points, which were really long rallies for a beginning of a yeah. match by today's standards. I think like usually you have like quicker points, some nervous like failures here or there, quick service games, but these were like really intense points. Rafa was super sweaty. The commentators, at least in Germany, like couldn't stop commentating on that. And it was kind of annoying, but they mentioned it a bajillion times about how sweaty he was essentially. And he was pretty sweaty. So there was the humidity thing. Um, his strategy looked like he was like aiming to wear Medi down almost to an extent. Like he was playing with a lot of pace change up. He was playing like a little bit conservatively. There was a lot of slice in there. And the main thing that I took away from that set was his first serve was basically like non-existent. Like Rafa's first serve was just not there. And he ends up like looking pretty winded in the end. So after set one, I felt like the, the main thing that I had at that point was like, I'm not sure about the strategy, you know, of trying to wear Medi down. I wasn't sure how that was really going to turn out because Medi looked pretty fit at the time. Yeah. And that was one of the biggest notes that I had was about his serve. If you look at the numbers, he served about 54% uh, on his first serve in that first set. Whereas Mm -hmm. Medvedev served 82. Medvedev is serving lights out kind of like he was for most of the tournament. And that's something you expected, right? Medvedev to have the bigger serve to get more aces. Um, But he had four aces. Uh, Nadal had two double faults. Like it was completely one-sided in terms of the service games. So any quick points that were being handed out were going to Medvedev because because of the serve. And then, um, yeah, it was just, I mean, just such a kind of flat, flat set from Nadal. I don't know... It's interesting you say that because I kind of felt like the game plan was for Medvedev to wear down Nadal hmm. because he's 
and this is what everybody was saying is he's the younger, he's the fitter player. That's just something that even I was hypercritical of uh, with Nadal. And you know this because I we've exchanged texts about this. I was like watching that Shapovalov match. He goes up by two sets, but then he looks a little bit gassed in the third. That lets Shapovalov in it. Next thing you know, he wins the fourth, and then it's anybody's game in the fifth. Mm-hmm. Same thing, similarly, not to the same degree, but I would argue kind of happened with both the Hatchinov and the Berrettini match, where he goes up two sets pretty handily, plays pretty well the first two sets, and then his level starts to dip as he gets a little more tired, and then they come roaring back, take the fourth. Luckily, he gets out in the fifth in both of those matches, but... Um, it just, it almost felt like riding on the wall for me to now he has to come up against a player who is known for being quite the backboard and the physically fit player at this point, um, in his career, albeit, um, not at the start of his career, but now I think a lot of people associate Medvedev with being kind of a marathon man and, Mm -hmm. I think that kind of was his game plan too, is he's like, I can wear out Nadal. I've been paying attention to him this tournament. Um, If he gets one of the first two sets, if we split the first two sets, I can get him in four or five easily. So it was kind of about extending rallies. And, and it's kind of what we saw. Like eventually a lot of these ended with an unforced error from Nadal. He had 16 to Medvedev's five. So Medvedev was playing very solid from the ground, getting a lot of balls back. And just being um, kind of that assassin that he quote calls himself. So, um, it, yeah, I don't. <laughs> I said a lot for not having a lot to say in that first set, but <laughs> it, it, this was so. From my point of view, going in as a huge Nadal fan, I came in with no expectation. He's not the favorite. I didn't expect him to win this. This is not necessarily his best slam going against a guy who is, at this point, a hardcore specialist. And um, after that first set, I was feeling a little bit defeated. So <laughs> it was, that was tough because um, I didn't, I wasn't sure that Nadal was going to win that first set. But um, the way that Medvedev steamrolled him, I, it just didn't bode well for me for the yeah. for the remainder of the match. Um, but anyways. Let's get into set two here, unless you have something else to say there. No, it's a good transition point um, because going into set two, I mean, I agree. The what seemed to continue a little bit was Nadal matching this strategy of Medvedev, so to say, um, in terms of who can outlast one another. We're not what you would have expected from Nadal, right? So we saw his forehand MPHs being way below what they were for most of the tournament. His backhand errors were really high. And he just kept dragging the points out when you expected him to maybe go for the kill shot a little bit earlier. And I think the other point that's really important is like the first serve percentage that you mentioned, because in set two, it actually dropped. He goes down from 54% to 53%. But the notes I took there is that despite not having a first serve, his forehand speeds did come up a little bit and he started getting into the match, right? So he gets he gets mm-hmm. further on in Medi's service games. He gets a little bit of a look in terms of breaks, has some advantages in the second set, um, but then... The chances are lost. He can't close it out. And then you get to the tie break. And the tie break was sort of this like pivotal moment because you feel like, okay, Rafa could still win this tie break. Like he's got Medi at sort of at odds here, but you feel like Medvedev is kind of like waiting to turn it up to the next level. And 
once it came down to what I felt like Nadal was actually controlling most of the tie break, he was ahead for a lot of it. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's five all, and then it's six, five, and then he loses at seven, five. Mm-hmm. And, um, what I felt after that was that the odds were then so deep, right? Like they were so from all the grand slam stats and all this experience and even Rafa's own experience, right? Like the, the odds there were so crazy against him. And you just felt like Medvedev was sort of replicating this big three strategy he had because at the U S open Medvedev versus Joker, he used a big serve, quick points, domination, get him off the court. That was a strategy. And here it felt like Medvedev was focusing on having a strong serve, but running the baseline relentlessly, getting every ball back and just outlasting Rafa. That seemed to be his strategy waiting for the error and then going for the counter punch whenever he could, could get it. And it felt like in set two that Rafa just hadn't taken the chances he needed. And that that was at that point, how is he going to win, you know, the next three sets to come back? So I felt like at this point I was still in it. Like there was something about Rafa's perspective too, that seems like, okay, like maybe he can still make it close or like get one more set. I don't know. But especially with that first serve percentage, I was feeling pretty, convinced that this one was donezo after set two yeah i was right in that same boat with you because (laughs) at that that is the end of that set is where i went to bed i was like (laughs) i can't do this anymore it was nothing short of a miracle that i actually got up at 3 30 i had set my alarm um to be quite honest with everyone i was about five beers deep when i went to bed (laughs) (laughs) at 1 (laughs) a.m (laughs) <laughs> and then I woke up two and a half hours later <laughs> on the couch uh, to my alarm. I had the wherewithal to set my alarm for 3.30 so I could wake up for this match. <laughs> and, Genius. Uh, That's dedication right there. I uh, We had had a gift exchange earlier uh, w- with my friend group. And the dog had ripped up a bunch of tissue paper and, and pooped on the floor. And I was like, oh boy, here's, this is how it starts. But anyway, um, at, yeah, so at, uh, that was just to iterate that at the end of this second set, I think the, um, the analytics that they run on at the Australian Open gave Nadal a 4% chance to win. And even that kind of felt, you know, generous, if if nothing else, because that can't really take into effect momentum. I'm sure they try. But um, yeah, I, as, I just I, I didn't give him any shot, but it was close. So the second set felt more like a tug of war to me than the steamroll that was the first set. Mm-hmm. And Nadal had his plenty of chances in this one. He did get the break. Um, he actually, he had it up at, he was up four to one at one point. So the fact mm-hmm. that this went, uh, to a tie break was kind of defeating as a Nadal fan. Cause you were like, okay, great. If he can level this out, then, then we're back in it. Right. And then so that almost, that also added to the deflating fact of him losing the set is that he did have a huge lead at one point. Um, you're right. His first serve was down, but I think the biggest thing was that Medvedev's first serve was also way down in this set. He served over 80% in that first set, but he was down almost even with Nadal at 55 of his Mm -hmm. first serve percentage getting in. Uh, And so that gave Nadal the opportunity to get into some of his service matches, which he wasn't really getting in the first set. When you give Nadal a chance to, you know, get in and break, then it's always dangerous. So we saw him do that 
once. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, he was up in that tie break as well. So it was v- very close. Um, but the tie break was so hard for me to watch because I remember there being a couple of times in that tie break where the ball would be in or by just like a hair for Medvedev or out by just like a hair for Nadal. And I was like, uh oh, this is just the way that things go. He's going to, he's, you know, it, literally inches he's going to lose this set by. Next thing you know, he's down by two sets. So those inches make such a huge impact on the whole rest of the game. Um, and it made me think of this saying that I even wrote this down that grandpa always says when we're watching like <laughs> basketball or football or something like that. And I don't even remember the saying, but it's something to the effect of like the better team gets the lucky roll or the lucky mm. balls. So it's not just, I'm and I'm not even saying that Medvedev won that because of luck, but I'm saying he was almost the better player even though it was so tight throughout that set that he put himself in positions to get that ball in by a fraction, whereas Nadal just missed it by a fraction. And um, that's that's all it came down to. And so, yeah, it felt really deflating after that second set um, as an Nadal fan. But um, let's go ahead and move on to the third yeah, one. Yeah, take, take this... us into the third when things start to turn around a little bit. This is when things get a little bit better. So at this point, I'm asleep. I don't know what's going on. I was like, forget this. I don't want to watch him lose, and I'm really tired, so I want to go to bed. (laughs) Um, But this is where things really turned around. And it wasn't that way the entire set, though. Uh, He started serving much better, and I think that is kind of what propelled him to win this set. Nadal ended up being the guy who was serving over 80% on his first serve. And this is not the old Nadal serve we've seen in the past. He's really upped it by, I think, like at least six miles per hour mm-hmm. on both his first and second serve. So he's hitting at a bigger bigger clip than he ever has in the past. So for him to get these in over 80%, he's starting to hold a lot easier. He's getting a little bit more confident. Um, next thing you know, he's just looking for that one break and that's eventually what happened in this set. But the interesting thing is somewhere towards the beginning or the middle of this set is when the momentum really shifted. And I'm sure you remember this, but there was a, um, there was a game at three, two and exactly. I forget three, two Nadal was serving. Um, and Medvedev is up love 40 in that game and there was a point where patrick McEnroe, one of the lovely commentators for espn (laughs) said this is all but over verbatim like all this is all but over and i'm sure everybody else is thinking the exact same thing all but but, patty oh man he clawed (laughs) back ended up winning that uh game and it was a like you could just tell in the confidence of medvedev it was like a little uh needle just poked his balloon and gone (laughs) Mm because it was amazing to me what it felt like is that medvedev played so well the first set he scratched out a hard hard fought second set and won now he's looking at the finish line and he is about to break and then eventually win this if he breaks here he wins this in straight sets i'm almost positive in all reality he does yeah and um the fact that he didn't, that's that's all it took to get, 
And it's crazy how mental the game of tennis can be sometimes, but I think that's all it took for him to get into his head and get a little bit, um, not just mentally out of the game, but I think physically this is where we started to see him have a couple of issues, right? So he felt so in the zone at this point that he wasn't even worried about becoming tired. But this is where we saw Medvedev's legs kind of go out from him. And I think a lot of that has to do with the mentality of, uh oh, this could go maybe even just four sets. This is not going to be over as quick as I thought. Um, and we kind of see him get like heavy legs at this point. And then at that, you know, by the same token, gave Nadal the confidence to come out and start playing a little bit better. He ends up getting the break, serves it out. Next thing you know, it's two to one and we're going to the fourth. So that was really the 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 pivotal point in that entire match is I think Medvedev even up maybe even through the end of the third was playing well enough to win this match but it was just such a deflating moment and mentally and physically that just takes it out of you and um sometimes that's all you need. Yeah, see I thought it in set 3 at that 2-3 love 40 moment for Rafa. I mean, it seemed to me that Medi actually held his cool pretty well because he got he got all the returns back actually on each one of those break points. Like he gave himself a shot. I think he made one error, but Rafa like truly clawed his way back into that one. And he made a lot of really strong like good movement-based shots that got him out of that game and he basically escaped. So I totally agree. If Medvedev had been able to get through that game, everybody would agree, I guess, that uh, he's probably going to win the match. Um, but I think in the end, the fact that Rafa came through that one, you can also compare that you know Medvedev started looking flappable at the same time. Like His serve percentage, like you said, was dipping. Um, he was making a few more errors, but I think Rafa did raise his game considerably as well. Like you mentioned, he was at 82% first serve. That's really high for any match and definitely in one set. I think it was his best serving set actually of the whole day. So like he, he was very strong and he had to be, right? He had to be on it, but he holds, then he broke and then he held again and it was close, but it was six, four. And then that was one set back. And after that, Exactly. Then you have the question of like, okay, he still has to get through at least the fourth set and then we'll see what happens. So moving on to set four, what was interesting about this one for me is that the scoreline, the momentum shifts and almost everything except for this dramatic 2-3 love 40 game with multiple breakpoints, take that one out. And for me, set three and four were very similar. The only differences were that Rafa's first serve percentage actually like plummeted again. It went back down to 51%, which is kind of weird. But Medvedev's game also became a little bit more sporadic. Like he was nowhere near as consistent either. Um, and I think also at this point, the crowd started to get back into the match. Like Rafa started making a point to engage them to some extent. Um, it wasn't until a little later in the fourth that we see Medvedev like starting to have a little bit of beef with them. I think he had some commentary back and forth with the ump um, in the chair. So 
at the end, you know, we didn't get that dramatic sixth game, but we did also see Medvedev and Rafa start to deploy more net-based strategy. So we saw a lot more approaches, a couple more drop shots. They both started mixing in at the pivotal moments. So no more of this, like, we're going to outlast one another. They got a little bit craftier. Um, but really for me in set four, the thing that was key was that Medvedev did not seem interested in dragging out those points anymore in going for like more to extend it into outlast Rafa. Like you said, with the physicality, I think this might've been playing a key role because even though Rafa's serve dropped, it didn't matter. He was now controlling the ground points. He was in control when it came to the longer rallies, which, you know, was a stark difference to what was happening earlier. And then in the end, it was a similar pattern. Rafa held, then he broke, then he held again, and then it was 6-4. And we had the same score line. And then it was like, okay, that's that's two sets. Now Evan has to wake up because <laughs> <Get like up. laughs> now we are getting to a point where this is really ridiculous and could be crazy. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, man, I cannot. I don't know. Uh, Yeah. I mean, (laughs) everything you said really summed up my kind of exact thoughts on the fourth set there as well. It um, I I think the one thing I will harp on a little bit more is that I think the crowd really, really helped Nadal get back into this match. Um, They really started pulling, especially after he pulled out that third set. They were pumping hard for him. and. This has its own kind of storyline now because Medvedev talked about it um, in his press conference, which we might be able to get into later. But it, um, it I think it really got to Medvedev as well. Mm-hmm. So he was having not only the issues of not closing out in that third set, but at this point, you could tell his legs were tired. I'm not sure if he had trainers come out in the fourth or if it was just the fifth. Um, but you could tell he was not moving as well as he used to. And Nadal was almost playing... Um, I don't know, just out of his mind, really. It was like <laughs> he he just hit his second wind and he kicked it up just another level to where he started moving better in that fourth set than he did the entire match, which mm-hmm. is the exact opposite of what I and probably anybody thought would happen is that the longer this goes, the, the better Nadal looks, which is crazy. It's just so crazy to think about, especially at 35 and the physicality of the game up to this point and the way that he plays um but um yeah he started to mix it up a lot same thing you were saying more drop shots uh that he executed on very well medvedev again to your point was also trying to shorten the points at this point but i don't Mm -hmm. think he did it quite as effectively as nadal was doing it and that really pays tribute to how kind of just experienced and how how great Nadal is as a tennis player in general is that he has so many different weapons he can go to. He can hit you with this incredible drop shot out of nowhere. Whereas Medvedev, when he tries a drop shot, which I actually looked it up, everybody remembers Nadal starting to go to the drop shot, but Medvedev hit more drop shots in that match overall hmm. than Nadal did. It's just that Nadal's are so much more effective that you remember those and you think he, that was his strategy, not Medvedev's. Um, but yeah, just overall playing a lot better. I have noted here, he was starting to open up the court a lot more with his forehand, making Medvedev run because at this point, Nadal could tell he was getting tired. At least I thought he could tell, um, Medvedev was getting tired. So he started to play on that again with the drop shots, but also just working him side to side with that heavy topspin 
that he's known for. And I think his backhand got a little bit better too in this set and probably mm-hmm. in the third set as well. Um, a lot of errors off that backhand in the first set and then probably wasn't as strong as it probably could have been in the second, but really upped it in the, uh, the, the third and fourth. And I think that helps him as well. Um, and then, yeah, the last point that I had here is the same as yours is that his first serve percentage went way down. However, he was still winning more on his first serve than Medvedev was. So even though he didn't make it in, he was still winning a greater percentage of those points um, and making it count. And that's at the end of the day, that's what matters. So, um, it, it, yeah, I don't know. Just the momentum, everything at this point was on Nadal's side. And here we are in the fifth and it's anybody's game and both guys are exhausted. And this is where <laughs> this, um, this whole match really becomes a classic in my mind. So. I really, really like what you said there about the weapons of Rafa, because probably the most remarkable thing about this match is for him to have pivoted the way that he did in the third and the fourth by basically looking at the statistics that we've just cited that you know anybody can look at he instinctively felt those during the match and changed them basically in real time to start beating his opponent and we're not talking about Stefanos here. Like no one is screaming to him from the sideline. Uh, you need to <laughs> yeah. change this or right. you need to do that. <laughs> we'll get into that later. It's not a dig on him. It is, but whatever. Like he, he knows that because he has so much experience, right? So he's in this huge moment. It's extremely pressure filled. Like all the pressure is on him basically to break the record or to even do, even just to be there, no matter how much he tries to take it off. Right. Um, but the first serve is maybe kind of obvious, but the other ones, the tactical strategies that he deploys with the variation, the pace, the backhand winners, like you mentioned, I remember a couple distinctively down the line that he just hammered, which he didn't even try in the first set and a half, basically. Yeah, yeah. He was slicing like crazy. He was going for movement, pace change. He just changed it, essentially. And it seemed like that, with the combination of the pressure and the momentum then switching against Medvedev, was something that only... a really experienced like true champion can can do in that kind of moment and so once we got to set five i mean you woke up so i was like thank god like evan's here and this is this could happen now but the first thing i was thinking before that set started i was i was basically just like what the hell is happening right now like did he just get out of this two set deficit and now we're gonna see what happens so then what made this super crazy was all the commentators were trying to figure this out and everybody like was a little skeptical, but it looked like Medvedev was like on the pickle juice at that point. Like his thigh was cramping. Mm -hmm. They both went away for a really long time, like almost 10 minutes. They were off the court. Um, But Medvedev was definitely getting like some kind of cocktail to, to get himself back to life. He looked pretty out of it. Um, He was still having these exchanges with the chair about the crowd and the crowd was less than favorable for him that's obvious but then the set kicks off and everything looked like pretty solid back and forth you know like the beginning stages of the set it looked med- like medvedev had had tuned the crowd out right like he had decided okay i'm really gonna focus now because i have to like it was survival mode um and rafa also seemed like pretty like tense and nervous and obviously also like physically 
stretched. I think they were both like toast at that point. But um, what I noted was that it seemed like while Medvedev had settled in and blocked things out, um, he set up a couple chances here and there. Like they had a couple longer service games on, on Rafa's side, but he couldn't convert them. Um, and then it was like kind of this deja vu moment from 2017. Like Rafa gets the break and then he's serving for it and Medi gets the break back, but then Rafa gets it back immediately. And then it seemed like at that point that Medi was like really under the gun and like physically not going to be able to stretch it, even if it did keep going to the super tie break or something like that. And then Rafa, the second time around, holds to love. You know, he serves it out for like the biggest accomplishment of all time, basically. And that that part was very convincing. There was no doubts that he was going to come through. And then he did. And watching him serve it out at 6-5 for me was like one of the it's got to be one of the greatest sports comeback moments that I've ever I've for sure have ever seen. But I'm pretty sure that has ever happened. Um not to say that lightly. It's even better than what the Bengals pulled off this year. <laughs> Not salty at all about the Bengals. All right, um, yeah. It's right up there with the Music City Miracle in my book. Like That that kind of comeback is crazy good, especially for a guy at this late stage in his career. It's like the stuff we've been watching, the Jimmy Connors images from the U.S. Open for years. You know, like This is the kind of thing I feel like that's going to go down like that. So. And he won the title. I mean, Jimmy didn't even win that title. So it's like, <laughs> yeah. this one is a really big deal. He broke the record. Like, I don't know. So, and the last thing is like percentage wise, his first serve here also bumped way back up. So I think that was a key driver in holding Medi down. I think he got closer to 70% or something like that. Um, so he kept the pressure on and he held the love at the end, which for me was pretty crazy. Like it didn't go out in a lot of drama. I am surprised kind of that Medi got broke right away after that, but I think it was physical at that point. Yeah. yeah, I think so too. Um, what do I have written down here for the fifth set? I This one, I guess to me, at least in the fifth set, was a lot more... And it's tough because unfortunately, as we keep saying, I was not awake for the third and fourth. Um, and granted, the first uh, half of the fifth, I woke up when Nadal was up a break, but before... Um, he ended up getting his second break. So it to me, it looked like both players were about more even. I think Medvedev did kind of raise his level from the fourth set in this mm-hmm. fifth set here, but they were both physically exhausted, you could tell. So it was kind of just more who can, I know, come up bigger on the big points and not expend as much energy on the points that are not as critical. And we saw that because there were a lot, a couple of a handful of 40 love games or 40, 15 games in here. And then there were, there were some really tight ones when it really mattered. Um, Nadal breaking or Nadal uh, consolidating his break or Medvedev breaking back. But um, it, 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 all things considered, I think this was the best set by Nadal. The fact that he was super tired, the fact that he had everything on the line, he had clawed back, uh, comes down to this. It, it just, he was making shots that he had no right to be making at the time. (laughs) There were, I mean, the shot that he broke back on, or maybe it was the shot that he broke on. One of the ones that he broke on was this just incredible running down the line. The down the line forehand winner. Which was just, I mean, you see him make that 
plenty of times in his career, but not at 35 in a fifth set after five hours against, you know, one of the best movers on tour. It was insane. It was just insane. And um, it's, it's it's those kind of shots that, you know, win you a match like this and win you 21 majors. And it's so Im- just impressive, I think. Um, and, the, you know, again, just... The other things I have here are that I think I, a lot of it did come down to Nadal's variety. He not only could he go to the drop shot, but if he went to the drop shot, Medvedev got it back. That means Medvedev's now in the net, and that's still a favorable position for Nadal. He would much rather have Medvedev up at the net with the ball on his forehand, or maybe even his backhand, depending on where he's at. Um, or you know, he could come into the net himself. Or, you know, he just had so many options at this point where Medvedev, I don't think he did. Medvedev, his whole game is kind of predicated around getting in these long rallies and waiting for an opportunity to strike and then capitalizing on this. He's such a great opportunist, but at this point in a match, you don't really have that. So um, that's really what it came down to. And then um, the fortitude from Nadal to break back after, and this is, this is the same thing he did in 2012 is the same thing he did in 2017 is he's up a break in the fifth going on to win it against his two main rivals, Djokovic in 12, Federer in 17. And then he drops that break, ends up dropping that set and losing the match. Mm-hmm. And, um, he even said as much in a press conference that he immediately thought of those two moments when he dropped that set. So the fact that he, had that in his head and was able to come back and break again, I think was pretty huge. And just the fact that it was on 21 to break out of, to break ahead for the first time in his entire career of Federer. And at this point, Djokovic, um, it's, you just, you almost can't even write it any better. Like, (laughs) no, it's, it's it's, it's truly insane. Yeah. Yeah. To have that many things be broken and accomplished in Mm -hmm. one single match and event is just crazy and i mean i think at the end of it to your point about the physicality and also like medi's approach to playing i don't think rafa could have planned this obviously but if his strategy at the beginning did seem to be like matching medvedev's approach of okay we're going to make this really physical and i'm going to outlast you you can't help but wonder if the huge grit and physicality that was required from both players in the first two sets if that didn't end up making a difference you know by the end of the fourth and the fifth at the end of the day because at that point it was it was really just a battle of will and maybe a little bit of extra physicality here or there you know rafa even though he is older he's clearly in, in fine shape if his foot's not broken he's you know twice the size of medvedev so and we know Medi has had problems with the cramping and with the physicality in the past. Now, I don't think that's really an issue for him at five hours. Anybody no. could cramp like that. Who knows? So, but it, it seems like I, it may be that Rafa, you know, was down in this position. At least he had taken enough energy out of Medvedev. Like it wasn't like he bulldozed him, you know, even in that first set, it was actually pretty tough despite the scoreline. So I also wonder how big a role that played in the end, but they both seemed completely toast by the time that fifth had started. Yeah. So <laughs> I think at that point, it was just a, a matter of weapons, a variety, different options, experience, mindset, all those things. And maybe Rafa mm-hmm. required having those experiences in the past against Djokovic and Federer 
to be able to dig his way out of it at the end of the day. Yeah. And the last thing I have noted here is um, I saw something online that was the longest Grand Slam finals of all time. <laughs> this one ranks up there as the second longest Grand Slam final of all time. Second only to the 2012 that I previously mentioned, which also featured Nadal at almost six hours. Um, and this one only was only shy of it by like 25 minutes, a little bit less than 25 minutes. And then at um, uh, at the bottom of this list, I guess it's top six, is the 2019 U.S. Open, which would feature both of these players as well. And Nadal came out on top of that one. And um, I think it's just a testament to how incredibly resilient he is. And this is this is why. Sorry, I'm fanboying here. Like, I get it. I am. <laughs> but this is 100% why he's my favorite player is because he can be the entire deck can be stacked against him and he will somehow find a way to win after five and a half hours. And it's so just like almost inspiring to watch the fight that this guy has. And he's he in my mind, he is the greatest fighter in the history of sport, like sports in general like any kind of basketball, baseball, whatever. Yeah, I don't think anybody's ever seen a guy that just never refuses to quit like this man. And I think it's awesome. And it's 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 made him at right right at this point this is a hot topic, but at this point the greatest of all time. So undisputably, it, I think for the most I, part. I, think I mean so. to pull off something to. like that against all I mean the just the odds alone I don't know if this will start getting a little bit more coverage over the next few years like maybe we'll look back on this but even if you look at like what the AI predicted what the experts predicted what the odds could have predicted at that point being two sets down given everything we know about professional tennis best of 5 men's tennis in particular if you go down two sets there's literally like a almost a physically impossible chance that you come back and win that match from that position yeah. it literally never really? ever ever happens you're talking about like less than 10 matches we can even look at in the mm -hmm. last 20 years or something and then he does it in that scenario so i totally agree it is truly insane that he actually pulled that off in that particular scenario like later on yeah. in the tournament because usually at that stage once you've lost the first set your odds are like 80 percent against you normally mm -hmm. so i mean it's just unbelievable what he what he pulled off there yeah and kind of what i was getting at um in, in my rant at the beginning <laughs> was that <laughs> and, and it happened at the australian open which if this happens at the french it's almost a little more believable um, or at the U S open, he's had a lot of success there, but this is a tournament he's only won once in his entire career out of 20 slams. He had only won it once. And then he pulls this kind of stunt to win it a second time is just like it. Maybe you could make the case for Wimbledon, but I think that this is probably the, the best case scenario for him to get 21 and win a match like that is at the Australian open. So, yeah. Because then he gets two. He gets two everywhere, and then he kind of breaks that kind of, I don't know. He had a handful of finals that he had lost at the Australian Open up to this point. Kind of breaks that curse almost. I don't want to say that because he came very close two times. Um, debatably had an injury at one of them and then got smoked by Joker in another one. But <laughs> to finally end up winning a final here after 2000, 
and nine is is just great. So. Yeah, um, and I did yeah. also have one more stat there, Evan, about how you know this gap between the first Grand Slam played versus and one versus then the latest one played in a certain player's career. And I think this split between the first time he won at Roland Garros, for example, or even since he's won at the Australian Open, right? To go on another, I think at Roland Garros, it was it's literally like a 16-year, 17-year split now yeah. or something like that. For, from the first one to the most recent one that he's won. If you look at this one alone, it's already 13 years, basically. So, mm-hmm. And that longest match he played, that's already 10 years ago entirely. Then he plays the match 10 years later, wins it with 10 years <laughs> yeah. of age on him. So yeah. everything exactly. about it just... It, indicates like a true like a warrior titan kind of character like just totally crazy you can't you, you literally can't write that stuff i mean I know. completely odds to find so really incredible and we do have here evan the shameless speculation option about <laughs> what happens next just to comment on it briefly i mean yeah we we can't we can't get into too much about whatever is going to happen with Djokovic if he's going to be able to play blah 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 if he comes back i don't we really don't know how that's going to work out all we know of as of today is it doesn't look particularly promising, but who knows? But for Rafa, I mean, now we, he, he just won this tournament. Like you said, mm-hmm. probably the he's obvious, he's made the final many times, so he does play great in Australia, but it's been defying him the title. So he just won that. And now we go into the clay court season, which is like bread and butter. If he's right. in good shape, if Joker's not playing the French, or even if he does, and this stuff is all going on and it's weird. I mean, he's another favorite right there again, mm-hmm. in my mind. I mean, he's cruising in there. Who knows what that's going to look like in, you know, we still have another three or four months till we get to that point. A lot of things could happen. But you get the feeling that now that that's behind him, like, it seems like there's still a lot of possibilities. It's just the very beginning of the season, you know, and he's just broken that record. And there's, it's not like he's going to retire tomorrow. So, right. It'll be really yeah. crazy to see like what could actually happen next. What do you think? I, man, I, again, all the mention, all the things we mentioned before. Now you add on top of that, as an adult fan, you have to love the position he's in because, he's, <laughs> just like you said, he's going into the clay season. Like this was supposed to be Djokovic getting twenty one, and then French was supposed to be Nadal trying to tie him at twenty one, mm-hmm. and for him to get twenty one here, and now have a you know, a strong chance at getting 22 is, um, I mean, you, (laughs) that's a great scenario. Um, but I, I, one of the biggest positives for me personally is that he had foot surgery. Another thing we didn't even touch on. We didn't even talk about that in this, in this over five hour match and an entire, um, tournament having five sets against Shapovalov, four sets here, four sets here. Um, he just came back from surgery at like what, six, five, six months ago. Mm-hmm. But anyway, another just ridiculous thing to happen, but his foot looks like it's a hundred percent. Like he moved fine in my, it opinion. seemed like it was doing great. Yeah. My only question for him, that tournament was how can he hold up physically? And after that final, it looks like he can still hold up with the best of them, you know, being Medvedev on a hard court in five sets. So he's got that going into the French. Now he looks like he's fully fit. He physically is there. It's obviously his best tournament. Um, 
heavy favorite. Uh, it just, it's a great scenario. And th- just, I just think it's a, it's a huge win. Cause now <laughs> I don't know, I'm kind of all over the place because as <laughs> you know, this is something I think about. And so I thought, yeah, he wins the French this year. Djokovic wins the Australian Open. Djokovic probably wins Wimbledon. You know, U.S. Open is usually open. But now it's almost like he's, you're almost looking at him to win the U.S. Open too, unless Djokovic can stop him there. But I don't know. Like, <laughs> outside of Wimbledon, he almost looks like a top two favorite at every slam now. Just the way that he played that one. In my opinion, maybe I'm crazy. But the fact that he can do that at Australia means in my mind that he can do that at the U S open. And he has shown he will do that at the French. So that's huge. Um, yeah. I, I think Rafa at the French, that's a totally different animal because he can clobber people on that surface and the physicality is going to be out of it a little, yeah. the hard court at the grass. Let's leave the grass aside. That one's more complicated. The U S open in the future. I, I mean, this was Rafa like on the brink at one point in the final, Mm-hmm. Um, but playing great overall otherwise was tested a few times for sure, but physically seems to be there, right? So, I mean, I think him going deep is no question. It's totally possible. I do think your your Medvedevs, they're going to be back, right? I mean, he's oh, he's yeah. going to be fighting for it for sure. I think the real wild card is the Joker scenario. I mean, who knows right. what's going to happen with him? It's just, it must be it feels so bitter on the other end of this, right? Like <laughs> yeah. called out on a technicality and then your greatest rival of all times wins the freaking tournament and <laughs> takes over the record oh. and then it now is a rewriting history, like oh. and you couldn't even play in the tournament. Damn I know. that must suck. <laughs> I saw I saw a meme uh, I think from that meme page we follow on Instagram. <laughs> it's like Djokovic immediately following that final. He gets like all three, or at least it was it would have been all three of the ones that are in uh, America, the Moderna, Pfizer, and uh, Johnson and Johnson vaccines. He like gets all three of them at once. He's like, All right, I'm good now. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, the fact that Djokovic wins the French last year over Nadal and now Nadal wins the Australian this year is just who would have ever guessed? Like in a million years, that would be how it shakes out. But that's what happens. And that's why it's so fun to watch this. And I just love where tennis is at right now. And the fact that these guys are still playing and the fact that they get competition from players outside of each other is incredible as well. So um, I I don't know. It's just, yeah. um, I think to touch on Novak, I think the, one thing that I think about here is that he probably has that motivation again. He's such, he's one of those players that we see has to be driven. If he has no motivation for winning a match, that's when he kind of falters. Um, but now he's down again. He had been chasing his entire career, and then he breaks it even at 20, and now he's down again. He's going to be super hungry for 21. Um, so it's that... M- Personally, should he play the French, which he probably will, I, I now that you have more time on your side, you can figure out how to do it. Um, and I, I hope he does. I don't want him to not play. Like, even though I want Nadal to win that, I don't want him to win it on a technicality of not having, you know, Djokovic there who beat him the year before, the defending champion. So I, I honestly, to goodness, hope he does play the French. And I think it's going to help him compete better at the French quite honestly the fact that he's now again chasing 
the Grand Slam lead because he's very vocal about trying to break these records. Whereas Federer and Nadal are a little more coy about it. They're like, ah, I just hope you know I can I can compete and play well and put myself in positions to win, but I don't have to chase to um, chase anything to compete at my highest level. Whereas Djokovic <laughs> is like, yeah, I'm trying to be number one. I'm trying to win all these, <laughs> which is refreshing. Uh, and at some points, um, so. Yeah, they do play it down a little bit. They do play it down. And I mean, in general, I think we've talked about this before, but Djokovic has to have the chip on the shoulder option. That that is what drives him. And that's how he's always played forever, it seems like. And the the more he's internalized it, the more he's managed it, the more mature he's gotten. He's, He's just even better at doing that. So, and I don't, I mean, this whole, this whole stuff with him not getting in and maybe being able to play in France or not, like there is far from being a right or wrong answer on that stuff. Like the Australian Open blundered so much of that, that it's not clear that in the end, he's going to be seen as, you know, some kind of outlier or the bad guy. So I also agree that that story is far from over for him. Let's see like Mm -hmm. what actually ends up happening in the next couple weeks and months. Um, Because you, if he's able to step back on court at a grand slam again, he is going to be, ex- he's going to be even more angry than he oh, was yeah. before. So <laughs> I would definitely think he'll have double the motivation and won't yeah. be too far behind it, but that's it. I... So, I mean, let's, let's jump over now, Evan, let's jump okay. over to the rest of the AO uh, and just briefly touch on a couple things here. So, First off, if we look at a couple points, recapping just quickly, um, wanted to make a note for what happened on the women's side because we also had a very historical moment over there with Ash Barty winning the title, pretty much dominating for almost all of the tournament. Um, I don't even think she dropped a set the entire time, maybe one set here or there, but Um... she became the first Australian woman to win in like 40 years or something like that. One of the first Aussies to bring it back on either side in a long time. Um, She beat Daniel Collins, an American in the final. Um, And our guys should really take some notes here, I think, because the American women comprised quite a large part of the second week. So Madison Keys, Anna Samova, Daniel Collins made the final, and Jenny Pegula, the uh, Buffalo Bills heir, Yes, was also yeah. in the second week or basically towards the the quarters we had a lot of really good women from the u.s that made the later stages um and we actually have a pretty deep draw on that side that consistently makes it pretty far in these and we didn't even have sophia kennan make it through or a couple yeah. other players who would normally make the run so if you're out there, you know you're uh uh bro peas and your tommy pains <laughs> and your uh T Fritz's, you know, the, <laughs> you guys are doing a great job too. Everything's fun. Yeah, I think I think the American women are a little bit more dominant in the field, though. Um, For sure. I would. I don't know why that would be because there's been a lot. I don't. I okay. I won't get us off on a tangent. <laughs> um, but yeah, huge congratulations to Barty. She's incredible, and it's very good. And my, you know, this might sound bad, but I think it's really good to see her establish herself as the dominant force that she is on the women's tour, because that's kind of what 
they were lacking in my opinion for for a while outside of maybe Serena or Osaka also extremely strong player um but just to have I mean Barty far and away like she's just so I mean I don't know she's so good (laughs) it's like it makes it more fun to watch in my opinion because then when she gets beat um it's really tantalizing whereas we have been so used to just all the upsets and these no, you know, unseated players, no offense to them, win um, these tournaments. And it's like, now we finally have like some consistency and we can build on that. And uh, anyways, huge, huge congratulations to Barty. And then um, uh, yeah, yeah. It, that was a huge result from Collins as well, because she had made it to the semifinals here before. So we know she plays well here, but you know, since then she had had some like health scares that almost took her away from the game. So the fact that she's back in it now and, and competing at the highest level is is really awesome. And especially as an American, it's it's great too. So yeah, definitely. Cool. I think the women's game could be giving us a little bit of a glimpse into what the men's game is going to look like in like another five to ten years. Yeah, I think we're going right. to see even further like lower ranked players qualifier types coming further and further into these draws the in the later stages depending on how like your Zverev and your Tsitsipas's turn out right? right like but as of today those look like guys that are still they might just lose in the second or third round sure, every once yeah. in a while and you never know why um and i think we're going to see a lot more variety so maybe it gets a little more similar to how the women's game is looking but Ash Barty for a long time, I think a lot of people thought that she, you know, didn't have a flashy game and wasn't consistent and wasn't going to make it. And now she is like clearly established herself as someone that is really like, you know, has a awesome game, mm-hmm. is not a power player, but also kind of is a power player. She hit like a bunch of aces in that final too. So she has one of the best serves, if not the best serve on the women's tour. And it's weird because she's not that big. Like she's not that tall. You wouldn't um, expect so it, yeah. The fact that she can generate so much power on her serve is ridiculous. And then she also has just this lights-out slice that she can use to pin slice, her opponent. Like and trap. It, yeah. the fact that she has be- become so consistent with it and just the whole rest of her game is really what's putting her at the top now, and it's not even close. <laughs> so, it's, I don't know. It's pretty awesome to see. Um, but... I don't know. She does I seem hope... to have the whole the weapons thing you were talking about before. She seems yeah. to have so many more weapons that she's not even using half the time. You know right. that she can pull out whatever she wants. Mm-hmm. So we also have a couple important uh, scandals slash events <laughs> that happened, which we should just touch on and mention. Um, before we get into some of the bracket-related things here, Evan. So I'm mm-hmm. just going to list them off and then want to hear your thoughts on them. So I've just got some that I wrote down here. Uh, we have, it has to be mentioned, Nick Kyrgios and Tanazi Coconuts winning Grand Slam. <laughs> Coconuts wins a Grand <laughs> Together. And I, I watched this match. I liked those guys playing together. I thought they did great cool thing for australia too and then we had nick curios's comments during the victory speech which just for me rubbed me the wrong way but i guess that's just who he is it's what he does but he said yeah. he just said some weird stuff in that speech that he didn't have to say whatever he always says stuff he doesn't have to say um we also had medvedev's post-match press conference in which he 
gave some pretty serious, but also Medvedev is a very like sly character when he talks. Yeah. I feel like so he's he's always kind of dancing around a little bit, but he basically referenced his childhood dreams of tennis no longer existing as they did before, and it was more or less clear that he was talking about the way the crowd was treating him. Um, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this because you can go both ways, right? Like it's true. He was not treated very well. It's also true. He doesn't necessarily treat others very well concerning the chair or fellow players half the time. So you wonder, you know, how much you can really go for or against it. Um, he also used the term small cat against one of the ups, which <laughs> was, was awesome. pretty funny. And I think we all know what he was uh, yeah. actually communicating there. But um, funny that the, the clip itself is hilarious because he's just looking around. And he's like, oh, you're what we would call a uh, small cat. And then he just moves on and walks to the other side of the court. And I was like, ah, oh, geez, I felt really bad for that ump, actually, that chair. But um, then another one I loved was um, Shapovalov getting mad at the chair and Rafa when Rafa still had like six or seven seconds left on the shot clock and Chapo like blamed the chair for somehow not looking where he wanted him to and then claimed that all chair umpires are corrupt immediately there yeah, afterwards yeah. while he managed to blow a lead and basically hand the match back to Rafa. I also saw a really funny video on YouTube about how Rafa takes his shirt off at the end of each match, claps for his opponent when they're announced as they're leaving, and they they set them all up side by side. He does not do it when Chapo leaves the court. He just oh, stuffs really? his shirt into his bag and looks <laughs> down angrily, and Chapo walks off. And then in the very next one, he just claps again. It was real, it's funny. I'll send it to you. Um, and then, of course, we also have uh, Sitsipas and the coaching, which... I guess you can either <laughs> solely blame Sitsipas's dad for all this or sort of blame both of them, but the AO basically planted a Greek-speaking or a Greek-native yeah. right below the <laughs> box. It just they catches him red-handed. Yeah, <laughs> they plant a rat right in the audience. And he's probably he's just sitting there basically saying like, oh, hit it to his backhand, hit it to his backhand. And no one else yeah. knows what's going on. And then they get him in like two seconds. So these were the things that came to my mind i don't know i mean any of these stick out in your head evan like what if we didn't we're not even putting djokovic on here we already talked about his right this was just aside from that yeah i actually don't know what um i never heard nick curios's victory speech so i i I missed that one. okay okay so it wasn't that bad but basically the gist of it was um they they were they were doing the interview like the Jim Courier, but it was someone else. And, mm-hmm. you know, they were like, oh, this is such a great moment. How are you going to celebrate? And Co- Coconut says something. And then Nick, like, jumps into the microphone. And he's like, we're going to be going out to all the clubs tonight. And I know the ladies <laughs> going to be there for Tanashi. And it was like, you better get out there. And then they said something else that was, like, mildly inappropriate. And it was just like, man, you just you just won this grand slam. And like, this is what you're going to say right now? like. No kidding. I don't know. Maybe my standards. <laughs> That's funny. I, 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 I don't know. My That's... expectation was different. I don't know, but but that 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 tracks with who he is as a player and a person. So um, definitely, you know, the I I watched the Medvedev press conference and his whole speech about you know his his the kid dying. Um, that basically his his will to compete at a high level in these tennis matches is is slowly dwindling i guess is is how i took it and um it's tough to hear it's not 
it you know it's not fun but also he's saying this right after he essentially had his second grand slam all but wrapped up and um he ends up losing the next three sets i mean that's tough it's just super tough to lose that way you know if you lose in straight sets like you did djokovic a year ago it's it's almost easier to swallow than mm-hmm. when you essentially have it um you know within earshot so i it would be interesting for him to know his position now rather than immediately following the match but um I will agree that the crowd was not very gracious towards him. However, again, towards your point, he's not always that gracious towards the crowd. You can go back and forth about who started at first, but at the end of the day, um, that doesn't matter. You have to play above that. And um, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of when people go off at chair umpires. Uh, Curios. That's one of the biggest reasons I am not a fan of him. I don't really care about his antics. Like, his speech and stuff like that doesn't make me not necessarily like him as a player, but um, the way that he just berates people and sometimes players, I, I just don't like that. It rose me the wrong way. So when Medvedev does that, um, I don't really like it either, but he has made a habit of it at this point and that's not going to get the crowd on your side. So it's not. Um... And then also too, I guess in my mind, you're playing against a guy who's going for history and you have a, crowd of people there who have not only supported him in the past but want to witness history happen live so i would you know i would be rooting for that too if, if it was djokovic against medvedev even though i'm not a huge djokovic fan and i'm a huge fed or a rafa fan it would still be really cool to witness that live right so just yeah. it doesn't even you take the players out of it it's just the moment of it all so um it's it, i don't know that that was kind of my take on that, um, but yeah, it just it's tough when emotions are running high to take stuff at face value like that. So, um, but the small cat outbursts are hilarious. Um, <laughs> Shapovalov <laughs> completely blew that game. That was his <laughs> to lose, and he lost it. So, I mean, pff, good riddance. <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> and that should have been where Nadal's uh, 21st bid uh, ended. But, I mean... That was a match he, right there. Chapo had that. He, had he literally bag. let himself get into his own head. And then he lost He it. made like, up a reason to get oh, mad, more or less. I, again, take it, take it for what it is because I'm a Rafa fan. But still, it's like, okay, the guy takes... Everybody knows he takes a long time. He's playing within the rules. Like... There's nothing I think I think at one point Rafa had taken a little bit longer on a changeover to change his shirt or his wristbands or something. And that was the one thing that was up to the umpire's discretion to say, yes, it's very hot out here, like over 90 degrees. And um, I'm going to give him a second to change out of his sopping wet shirt or whatever. And okay, okay, But to let it get to you to the point where you lose that match is. I don't know. That's that's holding him back. So I don't feel that bad for him. For as good as Dennis is, it makes no sense that something so small could so derail small. him. Oh, he was uh, going to win that match. It looked yeah, 100%. like. I mean, and something like I mean, there was. I think Rafa did get a time by. He gets a time violation almost every match. So I mean, yeah. it's like it's a totally normal thing. Why it would bother him at all? I truly don't understand. It's yeah. 
And then for him to say, you're all corrupt, you're all good. And he just walks away. And it's like, wait a minute, what are you talking corrupt? Like, oh my gosh. I mean, to the point where Rafa had to like come up to the net and be like, what's going on? Like, <laughs> yeah, have like some kind of fatherly calm, intervention. Yeah, be calm like, down. Hey, are you okay? Like, wait. And then it was funny because the, in that exchange, Shafo looked like he was like, I don't know, man. I just, uh, he, he yeah. almost was like, he, immediately, he was like, I don't know. Right. I don't know. Like, I'm sorry. I'm mad at the umpire, not at you. And yeah, it's like, yeah. well, no, you're complaining about like, rafa's behavior so uh, it was just yeah. it's a weird thing like it shows you it must be tough at some point if you're like still a really young player right but yeah chapo is he's prone to these things on court yeah if he can ever change or like rise above them then he's super dangerous for sure Oh, for sure if he gets any like psychologist in his head or somebody in his team that writes that Man, he's he's been there in like the last yeah. three or four slams. He's been there and he's blown it. So right. it's, it's totally and possible. I think that's definitely something that he needs in his game because, it, man, it's holding him back so much. Like he could be competing for grand slams and he has been, but it just his mentality. I don't know. I don't know. We've said it all. But <laughs> yeah, we we could go down another rabbit hole yeah. about next gen versus big three and exactly. all. I mean, every single guy has got some apart. comments. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah, so it, I yeah just... mindset and also like now there's attention right because big big three is still here, still not still gone. Here. Like, yeah. and th- this would have been like the toppling moment for sure, right? Like this was a chance to really seal the deal. But it is still they're right there though. I think if anything else, this does kind of show like. The, the rest of the guys made it really far. Like the next gen mm-hmm. is there. They're knocking they at the are. door, but that, that just makes the Rafa win even more impressive. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. And I think that, I mean, I think a lot of it is timing too, but in my mind, they've this quote unquote next gen has been ahead of the competition that the big three have had to face, or even the big four or five, including Vavrinka have had to face in, um, in their prime. Oh, yeah. But now you're starting to look at it's like, well, maybe, maybe these guys are not that much better than your Burdich and your Nishikori and your Chilich. Like, I mean, maybe they're just not. I always thought they were, but I don't know. And um, some of these guys, it's like, do they even want it? They, they all of yeah. them have some kind of baggage, which is like detrimental to some point. Like, Zverev's got all his weird off-court stuff. You've got Sitsipas with the coaching. You've yeah. got Medvedev, who's got one now, and seems like he will get more. For but sure. also has these these kind of like scuffles in the middle, and yeah. I don't know. It just see there's there's not a clear cut one of them, which will make it even more interesting in five years. It's going to be like yeah, you it'll know, be it'll be fun to watch. And it's you don't even have to chase the big three. Like you can look at players who go down in history that don't have anywhere near the grand slams that they have. And right. You can you can try to rationalize that. Like for my. In my opinion, Medvedev could potentially become one of the all-time greats, even if he doesn't remotely come close to the big three. Um, but he could win more Grand Slams than who knows, you know, McEnroe, Agassi, whatever. But um, not not at this rate, and you know, letting stuff get to you like that. So, right. I mean, he's still he's arguably the best hardcore player on tour. So for sure, yeah, keeps that up. It's no problem. Second, maybe only to Djokovic. That's it. Right, right. So, so Evan, give me your best pick and your worst pick from the bracket challenge this year at the Australian Open. If you had um, to pick. I think, 
I mean, my worst pick has to be Zverev. Um, it, yeah. It's not, a, it's not a terrible pick, but he lost to Shapovalov in straight sets, which was really weird, in my opinion. Like, I ended up watching. I had that one on in the background because I was hanging out with family, but um, I and at that point, I was like, let's go Shapovalov because he's an easier win for Nadal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I cannot believe he we didn't get that Zverev-Nadal matchup. I, I just I still can't believe that. Um, so I might have had picks that didn't make it quite as far as he m- might have for me, but um, he was the most impactful in terms of late rounds exiting semi early. Um, good good picks for me would be probably Felix. I had him m- meeting Medvedev, and which he did. Um, or Chilich getting through Rublev. That was a really good one for me. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, you got to go with Cressy at this point, right? Maxime Cressy, the greatest <laughs> servant volleyer of all time. <laughs> beating Chris O'Connell. <laughs> beating Chris know. O'Connell, beating uh, T. Machac, beating... Tachat. That was it. That, no, beating yeah. Isner, beating Jisner. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Unbelievable. What Maxime Cressy pulled off there. I think Medvedev on court was accused of calling his game boring or something like that. Right. He got into Medvedev's head, which is another, you know, thing you can talk about with Medvedev is that he took a set on Medvedev and Medvedev let him get into his head. (laughs) Maxime Cressy, of all people. (laughs) But Maxime Cressy could be the real deal. We didn't see Jensen Brooks be in this edition. I mean, everybody thinks he's the the bee's knees and he may very well be. But he, yeah, he had some kind of illness or maybe he tested positive, which Mm. is why he wasn't here or at least in the qualifiers. So Mm. um, I think Jensen will be back for sure. But I'm also interested to see where Cressy kind of goes the rest of the season, because I thought him getting to Nadal in the final of Melbourne, the, the 250 Melbourne was maybe a fluke but he really backed it up <laughs> so i mean does a huge month for that guy makes a final and then gets three wins he in a slam a great year i hope so it's huge could be it's great. huge i mean look out for him on grass maybe be, yeah i like his gameplay it's, yep. it's the real deal if we're looking at my options i think the worst pick i had at the end of the day which we both didn't pick is probably Dan Evans. I always put a lot of confidence in him, but Felix just like annihilated him. And then Felix actually ended up having a really good run and like pushed Medvedev. I mean, was right there at the end. This was probably the the most difficult match Medvedev played separately. Medvedev's draw actually from Cressy on ends up not being that easy. I mean, he actually had a pretty pretty tough one all the way to the final but Oje Aliassim for me this looked like a match where he he got beat he didn't he didn't blow that one and he was like within reach he was there for that one so I feel like he's still so young and he's so good mm-hmm. he's also like just because we've known him for a while now I feel like everybody discounts him a little bit and also the whole like finals thing isn't really helping him you know like the mm-hmm been in 11 or whatever and has it won one but yeah he's doing really well so i think dan evans i had him going two extra matches than what he actually accomplished and he didn't do that so that was probably my worst pick 
uh, my best one for sure was the Rafa pick, obviously. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm so glad that one. <laughs> I am so glad you won this bracket challenge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, me too. I mean, it's a, congratulations. Well done. <laughs> that's a Cinderella pick right there, and it had to survive like two or three bouts of should have lost, looked yeah. like should have lost kind oh, of thing. So crazy run. I, I I cannot say what I was saying at the beginning. I was pretty confident that Rafa would make it far, and now looking back, it's like, oh man, it was really, yeah, was really it. close. Got shaky. Yes, yeah. most definitely. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I know we'll wrap this up here quick, but I think this is going to be Felix's best year. Just to touch on what you said, so that's awesome because everybody's been waiting for him to break out. I think this is his year for sure. Um, and then also maybe another good pick, which didn't translate, but Fritz for both of us was huge because he almost yeah. beats its pass there. Like he, we so had close. him, we had him right there and he beats RBA in five. He gets through Tiafo. Um, he, he's up two to three, two to one sets on Tsitsipas. Like he was, he was right there. So I still have a lot of hope in Fritz for this year and him to do really well. And I talk about, um Corda a lot but I am a big fan of Fritz as well so ho- Me too. hopefully he can build some consistency. I think Fritz is the real deal. Like you said, he I had some he really he had some big wins and that Sitsipas one was winnable. That was a close match. Oh, I think he does win that match half the time, honestly. Yeah. No. Following that, even more surprising for me than was the Sitsipas like totally demolished Sinner. I oh, mean, like, same. took him out without a doubt. Sinner kind of, like, collapsed a little bit in that match. I don't know. He he didn't really play well. But I think I think Sinner, he's also a young guy, right? Like, he's... Yeah. We've seen him later on in these stages. Is still, it's just a lot, I think. He's not quite there. The best of three formats a little better, but um, still still kind of working towards his potential on that one for sure. But, yeah, the Fritz, yeah. the Fritz pick, I'd back that one again. Definitely. Oh yeah, for sure. Dimitrov, maybe not, but no, that was bad for both of us. <laughs> that didn't work at all. What the heck, Benoit? Whoopsie Dang. daisy. That was weird. I. You Benoit Perry to... is you can never pick correctly with that no, guy. He's he's a he's a basil. He is a basil. That's so true. And speaking yeah. of basils and the other uh, motley crew of open draw guys so the other things that are happening right now evan we've got montpellier 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 um yeah. however it's Mont- pronounced correctly <laughs> yeah yeah from last year's uh yeah, renditions yeah. <laughs> we've got zverev the favorite looking to redeem himself at the 250 that he's won like twice already mm-hmm. i think he uh signed up for this immediately after losing at the australian open just to get <laughs> yeah. his dignity back up and running get some reps in yeah yeah, he did take out Mac McDonald today um, in straights. Decent showing from Mac Cordoba. Um, Schwarze, you on my mind, is the favorite. Um, yeah, that's uh, Diego Schwarzman. Uh, then uh, the tournament <laughs> in India. The Lion, number one seed, already lost to the less good version of Emer. Um, <laughs> not even the good Emer. Emer's yeah. brother or cousin or something like that. Qualifier ripped him. Uh, beat him pretty good. Don't know why. Musetti is now the number two seed. I wrote that twice because Musetti is the two seed at that tournament, which seems yeah, pretty good wild. for Musetti. Like, dude's moving yeah, up you fast. You haven't heard about him in forever, though. 
not right. since like he opened it last year. Exactly. He had that big run there. He had that run where he took out Stan two years ago now in Rome and then had yep. that big run in Rome. And he's, he's a reliable player now, but he's not, not making as big a moves as he was in those early days. But another interesting thing about these little ones, Evan, is that I saw the only American in any of the draws on the men's side was Mac McDonald. The oh, really? only one that's in any of these three tournaments. So... I guess that kind of makes sense. Most of them are probably not. They're rolling back into this uh, European indoor slash hardcore end and into clay. So we'll see. But I uh, thought that was a little funny that we only had one guy out there. No others, as far as yeah, I can see. Yeah, that is weird considering of how many, um, how many, yeah, how many could, of them there are. A 250 draw, you know. Right. I don't know. I guess they don't need the money anymore. I don't know. Looks like Brooksby's playing a challenger um okay good but yeah i mean everybody else for the most part would have been in australia and maybe they just taking the time off mac mcdonald's our only hope that's how i read it he got crushed by skill to win a 250 for sure he almost had that 500 last year against sinner so yeah he's had some really good results and that brings us evan to moldy take of the week yeah yeah, don't know if you got that soundboard queued up haven't heard much from it oh that's right Super loud on my side. Look at at the sound signature. It's just like, just completely full. This looks like a tornado just demolished that section of it. There's like this weird delay um, when I play this from when it like connects and the sound happens. So I have that little what, that Skeletor what, but it never plays because it doesn't catch it quick enough. Yeah. Because it's less than a second, so like I just oh, it so it doesn't even show up. No, it doesn't even yeah. register. You got to play like six of them in a row. Yeah. What? <laughs> Did you hear it? There was you got, you got one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's the tiniest sound signature blip you've ever seen. <laughs> well, it's not without its flaws, but we're starting to make progress over here in the changeover, trying to bring you the most quality content that we possibly can. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for thanks for cruising with us this far. I'm sure you're all really interested to see who's going to take it this week. Yeah, um, yeah. Evan, I could only nominate you for one thing that you already said yourself, and that was Verev. Uh, I don't know if that's really a nomination. Wasn't that bad of a call. I also almost I, I made the same pick as you essentially, except for one match. So one or yeah. two matches, I guess, in the end. But. Um, I picked Evans because I had him going further than I did. We did add some things to unfinished business, such as Shapo, you're all corrupt. Now I'm going to lose this match. (laughs) (laughs) Medi with the small cat. cat. Um, Any other nominations from your side, Evan? No, I think that sums it up. I definitely would have put you down for Evans, but um, unfortunately Zverev is a much safer pick that did not do as well. So... (laughs) Ding, 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 um, ding, ding, ding. Oh, so I'm giving you a free pass because you picked Rafa and he ended up winning. So, no. Yeah, you, I'm taking that one for sure. Yeah, you you had way more guts than I did, and it paid off. You know, the sad thing is, I picked that less with guts and more with true misguided belief that it could happen. It's great; it turned yeah. out well this time, but my picks are going to be completely completely lopsided the rest of the year because that's going to give me way too <laughs> yeah, much confidence yeah, that's true. in the underdog in everything 
I, and you know we're we're getting close to the part of the year where like now I'm gonna start making some picks that just don't make any sense. So <laughs> the best part of the bracket challenges. <laughs> Ben's yeah. Medvedev's losing in the second round. <laughs> yep, yep. Oh, no, I will never make that mistake again. That was dumb. Dumb as all get out. So yeah, if you look at the the bracket challenge at the end of the day, um, we got Evan in third place, lovely yeah. Samantha in second this time. Um, and I was able to seal things up with that Rafa win. Interesting though, Evan, we both had 85 picks, exact same pick yeah. count, and the exact same incorrect picks, exact same percentage, just <laughs> one or two different players. Um, and Sam actually had really different picks and was actually, if Medvedev had won, she was ahead, I think. So it would have been. She would have won it all, I think, yeah. She would have won it all, yeah. She made a couple less gutsy picks that actually had her in pretty good position for a while. Yeah, she had uh, the Berrettini and the Sitsabas picks, which we yep. did not pick. So that's really what propelled her. Um, and I got a lot of flack from my wife for not telling her to make a bracket. So I... <laughs> next time Sam makes one, uh, let me we know. We got to get tennis gal. I'll get in trouble. I'll get in trouble again. <laughs> <laughs> we got we to gotta start communicating better around I was, here. I was like... <laughs> You, I talk about these tournaments all the time. <laughs> you know when they're coming <laughs> up. <laughs> we'll improve slowly. We will improve. And, uh, you know, we haven't gotten a lot of user interaction, but if you guys want to join in and uh, compete against us, feel free. Let us know. We'll give you the link. Yeah. It, I mean, give us a, shoot us an email. <laughs> shoot us an email. Offer us some money. We're already seeing some good results from that tactic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. We're getting there. Well, hey, yeah, it's been... We're going on an hour and a half here. Should I play us out? This has been a great long episode with everybody. Has been a long one. We've, Sorry. See, at the top of the hour, we said it would be short, and here we are. But we all we all knew it was going to be. We, short. we all knew, especially when it was, you know, a tournament like this one. Yeah, we're going on into side. Friday. I don't have to yeah. be that aware of my surroundings tomorrow. I just got one more day to get through. I might it's be enough home to tomorrow. type some emails. We got the snow apocalypse happening. You, yeah, so. you got the Mageddon coming in. Yeah, we got about six to seven inches of snow right now. Maybe you got plenty that. of Eskimo cowboy queued up to get you through the shoveling <laughs> yeah, routine. How appropriate, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, um, thank you all for joining us as usual here on The Changeover. We appreciate your support. And uh, if you want to shoot us an email, feel free to do so. Link is in the description. And we will be back soon. Um What's the next big tournament coming up? What are we going to be talking about? Great um, question. Rotterdam, probably. Oh, no. Not I think Rotterdam. we're getting back to uh, redemption for you on your Rotterdam. <sighs> I'm going to pick Opelka again. <laughs> going to pick Opelka. This is going to be a fun I'm going to do it almost yeah. on principle yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a fun one, so you will not want to miss that. I'm going to make a faux bracket where Opelka wins it all. <laughs> Oh, it's going to be legit. You're going to have Opelka, and I'm going to have Fuchovic, and it's going to be a battle for the ages. <laughs> Opelka, you small cat. You get off the court. Ah, I'm <laughs> screaming during every point. You're there's all no, corrupt. There's no crowd there. <laughs> <laughs>
empty crowd, empty stadium. <laughs> I can't even hear my own thoughts out here. <laughs> okay. Well, um, <laughs> let me find the soundboard here. Here you go. Dang it. Rafa. There it is. All right. Once again, thank Y'all you all have for a great listening. evening. Yes. Enjoy your evening. Wherever you are out there in the world. And we'll talk at you later. Can anybody still I, hear when I talk about this happening? Oh, they can still hear you. <laughs> but it, and I have it faded in, so you'll slowly get drowned out by incredible outro music. Good. No one will hear that I'm picking Opelka to win Rotterdam 2022. <laughs> I'm picking Take it to the bank. <laughs> you watch the of them will even play. <laughs> I know. <laughs>